Hello, and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings, and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, by clicking the Donate tab. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. topic for tonight is excavating the heart. It's this process of discovery and an uncovering, which hopefully leads us to this genuine, authentic heart. And before I get too far into the topic, I do want to um, maybe go into a mental time machine. So you want to come along with me? Yeah, all right. So uh, let's say 1978. Let's go take a trip to 1978 in San Francisco, California. And there is a, a touring band playing in San Francisco this particular evening. A group of four messy, drunk kids called the Sex Pistols. And what they discover is this particular evening was their last performance and it was a mess and it was terrible it was an awful performance and their singer at the end of the show said something so said something so fucking beautiful right and he said haven't you ever had the feeling you've been cheated that this whole career of this band the sex pistols that were so sensationalized and so trendy and so hip and they, they ended their career so abruptly in this messy show with that haven't you ever had the feeling you've been cheated and so coming back to present time I don't like the Sex Pistols I'm not into that but um, I'm definitely into punk rock but I've watched so many punk rock documentaries that I've seen this scene over and over again that this sensational thing, this hype, led up to that simple letdown, that feeling of being cheated. That if we make anything this type of sensational product, 
it tends to bring us to a letdown. So I don't know if y'all have been in this situation, but you're sitting at the grocery store or standing in line at the grocery store. And as you're waiting in line to the grocery store, a magazine catches your eye and you look over and there is an image of a blemish-free model sitting in a perfect meditation posture, floating on white clouds in a moment of bliss. And it says mindfulness on the cover of this magazine. And then you're like, okay, mindfulness, that looks awesome. I want to feel like that attractive model on that magazine. So maybe I should go to the meditation center and learn mindfulness. And then you go to the meditation center and you try on that perfect meditation posture that you saw in the magazine. And you're ready to float on fluffy white clouds in this bliss of mindfulness. And then you sit down and your body hurts. Your mind hates you. And everything sucks. Don't you ever get the feeling you've been cheated? Yeah. So, okay, well, I bring this up, though, because I want to validate the experience of meditation. That we may feel like that magazine cover that's trying to sell you something and be sensational, that's real mindfulness. I don't know about that. That's cool when that happens, but the real deal of mindfulness is being confronted with the shit you need to see. That, you know, Andrew sometimes says that it may not be good news, but it's good information. So when we're present with that information that's been calling for our attention, when we just slow down, close our eyes, and feel it's been here all along. It's been calling for your love. So the, the anger, frustration, grief, despair, it's been calling for your love all along. And so when we finally stop and close our eyes, it's just waiting for us. It's waiting for our love. It's waiting for our attention. And this is the part of the excavation that we get to. So whatever's in the way is the way. While we may want this to be like, oh, I'll get rid of all of those unpleasant emotions, then I'll get to the bliss. The actual, you know, I talked about awakening a little bit last time. That what we are waking up to is whatever this is. That we may need to wake up to our despair. We may need to wake up to our grief. We may need to wake up to our hatred, anger. And that's what awakening is. It's not bypassing into something else. It's waking up to what's in this moment and what's my relationship to. And it is more and more when, when we actually wake up to these experiences, we uncover a loving heart that's been there all along, that's able to be with these difficult experiences. And so that's what this uncovering is, that this loving heart has been here all along. That's what the excavation is. This is what we're getting to, this loving heart that's able to love even the difficult, not just the bliss, it's able to love the bliss too, but also the difficult. So this excavation of the heart, it's referencing a story that the Buddha gave. It's a story about an ancient city that's been, it's been denied. It has all sorts of vines and dirt and all sorts of shit covering it. And then you wipe the dirt away and you go, whoa, there's a hidden beautiful city under all of this. And so we start digging and sometimes our digging is just like a little 
brush. Other times we gotta get the shovels out. Other times we gotta get the tobacco out, right? And through this process that I like to say of compassion, I think compassion is the biggest shovel that I can use. And compassion is a willingness to be with pain. So while we you know, may wake up to some of these difficult experiences, what's in the way of our love isn't the difficult experiences, our hatred of these difficult experiences. So what we are trying to get rid of, what we're trying to dig out is our own greed, hatred, and ignorance, our unwillingness to love what's in front of us. And so over time, it's a training that we develop. It's the digging we develop through compassion. And if you're anything like me, you may have been uh, taught a lot of different methods of dealing with painful experiences rather than being compassionate towards it. You know, I'm a middle-aged man who grew up in the South. And I've had a lot of confusing experiences in my life when it comes to emotions. I, I remember certain times in my life being sad, upset, crying. And the, the men in my life were just confused. They didn't know what to do. What is that? An emotion? How, what are you doing? Crying? I'm so confused. What is that? I don't, I don't know what that feels like. I don't know how to be with that. Like, um, when I was very young... Um, I, my, my parents got divorced, my, uh, my mom was working, didn't know what to do with me. I started playing sports. My father was around, but he traveled a lot on business. So I started playing football. I know nothing about football, I don't give a fuck about football, but I just did it because my parents wanted me to. And so my mom had a place for me to go. My dad loved football too. So maybe I can get into football and we can bond a little bit over that. And what happened was I just hated it so much and I ended up just being miserable with, you know, trying to do something I'm just not into, trying to force myself to like something I don't like. And at the same time, like, my coach was like, just so mean to me, trying to yell, me, yell at me to get into football and stuff like that. And it was just a lot of pressure on me as a young kid. I had all these feelings that I didn't know what to, how to deal with them. So I ended up quitting the team. And I go to the coach, and I just start crying. He didn't know what to do with me. He's like, God, this kid is crying. And then, so my father came to pick me up, and now I'm crying. And as a little kid, my father's there, my, my coach is there, and I'm bawling. And they just didn't know what to do. They said, you know, they started minimizing it. I started saying like, oh, you know, oh, this is no big deal. This is no big deal. Don't worry about this. And they, I remember them saying, you'll deal with much worse things in life than this. <laughs> like, oh, thanks. That's very reassuring. So over time, I grew up thinking that that's how you handle sadness. That's how you handle pressure. That's how you handle uh, despair is by minimizing it, getting rid of it, because that shit's uncomfortable. Let's not focus on that. And this is something I think is, is hopefully as a culture that is starting to change a little bit. And at the same time, we need to understand emotions can be scary and difficult regardless of what cultural stance we have on them. 
So I think it's through a practice of compassion, if we are able to be with our sorrows, we are able to be with other sorrows. If we are able to be with our own grief, we are able to be with others' grief. If we find peace within our hearts with our own sorrows, we can be with the sorrows of the world. So this practice of self-compassion is quite an offering to all beings everywhere, because emotions are contagious, and so if a little kid is crying to you and you're not available for sadness, you're going to tell a kid, hey, kid, don't worry about that. No big deal. But if you're able to have compassion for your own sadness and a kid comes crying to you, you can say, yeah, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. I'm here for you. And that's a very important thing when it comes to our own emotion regulation, right? That uh, there is... Study, I think we would call it, by Peter Levine. I don't know if any of you know Peter Levine, involved with uh, like somatic experiencing and emotional intelligence. And what he observed was there was a group of people that were tracking um, polar bears. So as as you know, the extinction list and stuff like that. So they're keeping track of these polar bears. So they had a helicopter and they're uh, flying over this polar bear. And as they were flying over the polar bear, they shot it with a tranquilizer, knocked the polar bear out, and tagged the polar bear. And as the polar bear started coming to, it was experiencing some trauma. So the polar bear started shaking, and shaking and breathing in a, in a very aggressive manner, shaking and breathing, shaking and breathing. And then what they observed was this was the polar bear's way of regulating that trauma and regulating that intensity and regulating that emotion that the polar bear had to shake it off. And then as soon as the polar bear came to from this like almost like seizure-like state, it was fine. It was like, oh, like it didn't reserve any trauma. It didn't fall into fight, flight, freeze response from there on. It was like, okay, I processed that and moved on. And so what Peter Levine just discovered that that's what we uh, need to do to a certain degree. That something like expressing the emotions, because emotions are in the body in so many ways. You know, like Besser van der Kolk will talk about the body keeps the score. And so compassion is a willingness to be on this, like I said, so-called pain, this construct of what we call pain on a very intimate level. So if we use the mind to name sadness, which I think is a helpful thing to name it, don't stop at just naming it. Turn towards it and see what is sadness directly and where is sadness in the body and how does sadness want to express itself? As we turn to this thing, we name sadness, use mindfulness and compassion as willing as we can be to be with it. For sadness, it's in the throat. I get choked up. It's in the shoulders. And my eyes start crying, right? And that's how it wants to express itself through the tears. And things like anger in my arms, clenching up, maybe even yelling, right? That's how it wants to express itself. Nerves in my belly. Oh, my belly gets nervous and then my body starts shaking. When people are nervous to give a talk, they start shaking. Well, we're not allowed to shake. That'll make the room uncomfortable, right? So we stop shaking. Oh, I can't be nervous to give the talk tonight. I have to remain still because that's Buddhist and that's comfortable. And that's what I learned from mindfulness on that cover of that magazine. 
It's still. But can we actually shake when we're nervous? Can we actually cry when we're sad? Can we actually get excited when we're angry? Hopefully we can find this, this space to actually be like that polar bear that's letting those emotions move through you so we can get to the other side and excavate this heart. And being with it on that intimate level. Because what will happen is sadness will arise and then the thought train will start coming about sadness. The good old classic mad sadness that arise. We feel sadness. Oh, I gotta blame somebody. You're the reason I'm sad and now I'm mad at you. Or I gotta blame myself. Oh, I fucked that thing up, now I'm sad. Can we embrace dukkha and know sadness is an inevitable part of life? Whether we suffer or not isn't because the sadness, it's what's our relationship to it. So can we be kind and nurturing towards sadness? Same goes with any of these emotions. Letting them express themselves and feeling them directly in the body is a, a, a beautiful practice. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the how-tos, right? That so much of this is, where I say intimate practice, that this is something that you need to do with yourself, too. That this discovery, that I can contextualize so many things about, oh, I feel sadness here, or I feel anger here, and I feel nerves here. But how can you discover this for yourself, how you feel these unpleasant, painful experiences directly, and how can you let them live, right? On one end, that mindfulness is a way to not take things personally. I'm up here a lot saying, you are not your thoughts. You are not your thoughts, you are not your thoughts. A thought, no, a thought is a thought. A thought of your mother is not your mother, it's a thought. Same goes for emotions. You are not your emotions. We will cling to our emotions. Well, I'm not my thought, but I am my fucking sadness or I am my grief. That's me. That's mine. So I have to strangle it, fix it, control it. But can we even have mindfulness to know I am not my emotion? So we can let this emotion live, breathe, and die just like anything else. It may come back, but let that process move through you. And also in mindfulness, we also uh, understand we are not our bodies either. Was we claim ownership of these bodies, that we can tighten these bodies and try to control these bodies in so many ways that this is a painful experience, so I have to grip down on it. But just loosen up the ownership of this body. Soften the body and just let go of the body and let the body do what it's going to do. So let the emotion live and let it express itself through this body. And be, be curious, bring mindfulness in as you observe how these things that aren't you, but they're still alive and still living, and bringing curiosity as they move through you. Nothing to cling to as I or mine. Simply observe them. So there is a, uh, a book I love that I've never heard anybody else read. It's called The Science of Compassion, and I reference it a lot because this is how I uh, teach compassion meditation most often. 
It's a book by Kelly McGonigal. And in this book, she references a study done at the University of Wisconsin on compassion meditation. So they, they took a group of meditators that have been meditating for over 10,000 hours. So people that have been meditating a whole lot. These expert meditators hooked them up to the machines and observed them in compassion meditation. They say practice compassion meditation. So they get into meditation, they start meditating, and to trigger this compassion meditation, what they do is expose them to sounds of human suffering. They're sitting peacefully in meditation and they hear a baby crying, screaming child as they're meditating. And then they hear the sound of, uh, you know, what would be assumed as a mother crying because the, the, something terrible happened to this child. And repeatedly going through these sounds of people in distress and terror as they're sitting in meditation. So what they discovered was uh, not that they were like not affected by this. You may think, oh, these are experienced meditators. They were not affected by the sounds of human suffering. They're so cool and they got it together. They're like the magazine person. No, quite the opposite. They were affected by this. As they're sitting in this meditation, first stage, of compassion, what they call it, stress response. Cortisol was released into their system. So they, they felt stress as they were meditating, right? And, you know, it, there's mindfulness-based stress reduction and, you know, 10% happier and all this stuff that promises us all these things in meditation. In this study, they discovered that that's not exactly true. First thing, you may need to get a little stressed. You may need to be stressed out in meditation especially when it's compassion meditation, especially when it's this willingness to be with the pain of life. Because what happens was it, they kept on meditating. And what they discovered is they moved from this stress response, and as they kept on meditating, it sparked love. It sparked care. It sparked compassion. So because there is distress, and they're willing to be with distress, that mud gave birth to the lotus of compassion, of love. And within their system, the cortisol did lower and oxytocin was uh, brought into their system. And oxytocin, I don't know if you even know that, that's the chemical that comes from like love. When you love somebody, you feel oxytocin. When you hug somebody, you'll feel oxytocin. And so since there was the sound of human suffering, now they can start caring for it, and now they have a higher happiness. Because without the sounds of human suffering, there wouldn't be any spark to bring compassion towards. So there's a certain sense of gratefulness that they're suffering, because now I can love it. So it switches from this opening up to the suffering to bringing care towards the suffering. Now we have a sense of love. And I uh, you know, heard this study years and years ago, and, and now... I can actually feel that shift in my meditation. When I find myself distressed and, and resistant towards that stress, and then I shift that stress into caring for it rather than resisting for it, I do feel that like as if somebody's hugging me, they go on inside of me. It's nice, it's possible, it's not that far away. So they kept on going. 
And as they kept on going, they went into what she calls the third stage of compassion. And this third stage of compassion comes from the Dharma, from what the Buddha taught 2,600 years ago. And it has a wisdom sense to it that pain is inevitable in life. We will have sorrow. We will have those moments of distress. And if we shift those, the attitude towards those moments of distress, we actually develop a higher happiness, which is peace. And so we no longer have to suffer over pain. So that's where the sense of freedom from suffering is totally possible. Pain's inevitable, but if you learn to be with pain in a loving way, the end of suffering is possible. So this third stage is a wishing of freedom. May you be free from suffering. And in that sense of may you be free from suffering, <clears throat> dopamine was released into their system. You know, dopamine is that, uh, what, you know, reward chemical. But, um, you know, sometimes they say, oh, it comes from like sex and food and all of that, which it kind of does ish, but it's more the um, hope that comes with dopamine, that you just eat a good piece of pizza, and you look down, there's more pizza, and then there's going to be dopamine, because it's like, I have the hope that I can have another piece of pizza, and it's going to be great, right? So it's that, that hopefulness that comes with dopamine. So this is the hope side of this, that, you know, while I say, like, oh, you may sit in meditation, and you may get some, some not bliss and some pain. It doesn't, it's not a not hopeful message. It's the hopeful message is that all of this shit that you're uncovering in your excavation of the heart can be great, uh, great food for your liberation. You know, that Ajahn Brahm says, the shit makes great fertilizer. So we start seeing shit around. We go, yeah, that's going to be great fertilizer for my higher happiness the way to live a peaceful life with the difficulties. And that's where that hope of dopamine comes in. Because I know Buddhism gets a bad reputation. We talk about suffering, 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 suffering. And to have a sense of like, yeah, there's suffering, but now we can have a sense of higher happiness, which is peace. So I, I do think we can be realistic. I don't think this is a pessimistic practice. I think this is a realistic practice. Because if we were going to say, oh, you could be happy just as long as you never pay attention to any suffering, that wouldn't be realistic. But if we say, yeah, there's pain and suffering in this world, and if you do it like this, you can actually find happiness that's with the pain and suffering, not in spite of. So this is actually you know, the practice of, of this compassion that I want to just guide us through, maybe just like a 10-minute practice of this, just so y'all know like maybe we can find that shift from hate, hating pain to loving pain to finding freedom with pain. There's three simple stages. Opening up to the pain and difficulty you're experiencing, bringing care and nurturing towards the pain and suffering you may be experiencing, and bringing freedom with. The way to fully integrate and allow whatever is experiencing in your life allow it to be there, non-identifying with it, and let it live its own life, and all the ways that it expresses itself. You know? So um, what I want you to do, like I'll bring up, I'll ask you to bring up something that's calling for your love and attention. So I want to do self-compassion. 
and bringing up, like, being with this heart and really leaning into this heart and, and asking the heart, right? Like, what, what's calling for our love and attention today? What painful experience is calling for my love? And in doing so, we want to be uh, reasonable. Let's not have what they call, uh, you know, fool's compassion. We don't want to take it too far. So if something feels like a 10 and you feel like, mm, I'm probably in the three zone today, do something that's in the three zone today. Because what this is is a training. It's like lifting weights. If you're only in shape for three pounders, just do the three pounders. Don't try to push yourself to do 10 pounders today if you're not uh, you know, feeling it. Because we have something called the window of tolerance. And the window of tolerance is our capacity to be with the pain and suffering. So we have a certain window here. And we may have a window like this today. And whatever pain is, is available, maybe we should lean in with that amount of availability and maybe stretch it a little bit. So stretch our capacity to hold pain a little bit. But if we're, if we're stretching it too far, we fall out of our window of tolerance. We'll go, on one end, we'll shut down in depression. Other end, we'll shut down in hypervigilance. It's just too much. It was outside of my window of tolerance. But in compassion meditation, that's why this is a training and a practice that we commit to. We grow the strength to be with pain more and more and more. So start little and push yourself a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And within, you know, hopefully maybe a couple years, you'll have like just a wide open window of tolerance. And there we allow pain to move through us quite evenly without shutting down or, or pushing out. So, so that's my message to you that I'm going to ask you to feel what you need to feel within reason. Okay? Any questions, comments, concerns before we do, um, yeah, maybe about a 10, 15 minute meditation on compassion? Cool. So, yeah, find a way to sit that uh, supports this meditation. Once again, like, not claiming ownership of this body and understanding the wisdom that arises in this body. So, seeing what this body needs right now, how does this body want to sit? And if it feels right, allowing your eyes to close. And maybe just starting with some deep in and out breaths. Just in through the nose, out through the mouth. Just giving this body regulating breaths. When we're in moments of activation, the breath can get really short, very rapid but just communicating to this body it's safe with deep in and out breaths. And resting in this vast spaciousness of all this beautiful sound around us, the storm outside, The sounds, the movements of the sounds, allowing it to welcome us to this present time experience. 
feeling the air all around us in this open spaciousness. And feeling this air entering the body through the inhalation and exiting the body through the exhalation. This interdependent dance we do. Breathing in, know that you're breathing in. And breathing out, know that you're breathing out. Being a part of this space. Feeling into this body as we arrive, arriving into the body, allowing the body to express itself as we loosen the grip over this body. In moments of activation, the body can get so tight. Just allowing the body to soften as we welcome safety into this moment, softening the face, softening the brow and the eyes and the jaw, softening the shoulders, softening the belly, just bringing ease and gentleness towards this body. So with this intention of bringing ourselves compassion, a willingness to nurture whatever pain is calling to be felt, I invite you to bring your awareness into the heart. Maybe envision that you're breathing in and out from this heart space. And if it feels right, maybe putting your hands on your heart to bring that nurturing sense of touch, allowing the heart to be held, and being the one that's holding this heart. Reflecting on your deepest intention to be compassionate towards yourself. each in and out breath, removing any of the barriers around the heart, any protections, any of the armor around the heart, allowing some intimacy with this heart, this excavation of the heart, looking inward, bringing a sense of curiosity as we ask this heart, 
What pain and difficulty is calling for my attention? Just asking the question and seeing what arises. What pain and difficulty is calling for my attention? Not interrogating, not demanding answers. Just feeling into the wisdom of the heart. What pain and difficulty is calling for my attention? pain and difficulty in as we enter this first stage of compassion with the phrase may I open up to this pain and difficulty may I open up to this pain and difficulty may I open up to this pain and difficulty opening up allowing it in with open arms yes you can be here welcome pain Welcome difficulty. Just feeling into the body, this pain and difficulty, allowing the constructs of defense to fall apart. Nothing to fight, nothing to fix. Come on in, pain, I'm here for you. Opening up. May I open up to the pain and difficulty. Yes to the pain. Yes, this can be difficult. Yes, this is allowed. This isn't a problem. This is just pain. You can be here, pain. Come on in. What is this pain directly? Can we feel it somewhere in our body? Does it express itself in any certain way? Does it have an energy, a pressure, a movement? Opening up to the pain. Open up to the pain and difficulty I experience.
yes, yes, yes. Come on in, pain. And while it's here, we might as well make friends with it. So bringing in care. May I care for the pain and difficulties I experience. May I care for the pain and difficulties I experience. May I care for the pain and difficulties I experience. Bringing a nurturing, sweet, gentle heart towards the pain. And it's calling for your love. So soften into this pain. No more fighting, no more fixing. I'm here for you, pain. May I care for this pain being the caregiver towards ourselves. What does this pain need right now? We can be creative with this pain, giving it a hug, giving it support, giving it encouragement. What's a genuine expression of love we can show this pain right now? something. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm here for you. I'll love you no matter what. Thank you. Just being the caregiver to ourselves, like the Buddha said, as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart shall I cherish all beings. So bringing that motherly love towards ourselves, cherishing this pain, the gentle heart. Pain is an opportunity to love. Feeling in the body how this pain expresses itself and allowing that to be something you can love and care for. As the wisdom of compassion opens up, may I be free from suffering. May I be free from suffering. 
May I be free from suffering. Wishing yourself freedom from suffering. As you show yourself, this is totally possible to be free from suffering. That pain is inevitable. If I use this pain as an object for love rather than hatred, I no longer suffer. May I be free from suffering. Freedom to be with whatever arises. Freedom to love whatever is in front of us. May I be free from suffering. May I be free from suffering. May I be free from suffering. You don't have to suffer over this anymore. taking this time to tell yourself anything else you need to hear. Thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. I'm here for you. And giving yourself some deep in and out breaths. <clears throat> Coming back to the space. Allowing the eyes to open. Looking around the room.